Thank you for listening to Season 2 of the Other States of America podcast. This End Notes episode, just like in Season 1, is meant to give a shout-out to all the various sources used in putting together this season. Unlike me, these are authors who are real historians, professionals in their fields, uh, going back hundreds of years, and uh, the primary sources that went into making this season, actual eyewitnesses who were there on the spot, witnessing history as it washed over them. And so they deserve the credit, and that's why I do this episode. That being said, this is a a really boring episode. It's just going to be me talking about stuff. I'll save the uh, individual listing of each and every source till the very end, so you could just check off at any time you want, because that's going to get exceedingly boring. Obviously, the story of New France will be continued in another season. Not next season, by the way. Yeah, more to come on that. But I ended the story with the royal takeover of New France. And it put us in the 1660s, both as the ending point for Acadia in New France and the Quebec colony that was centered around the St. Lawrence, the other half of New France at this point in time. Now, if you're a diehard listener, you'll realize our story of New Sweden, of course, folded into New Netherland. And our story of New Netherland and the Haudenosaunee ended in the 1660s also. There's a method behind the madness. I've designed this years ago. For some reason, the 1660s, for all these topics so far, is the pivot point. It's either the end or a new beginning. The ending is of this early period in time where fates are up in the air, where natives outnumber European settlers, where you have multiple powers along the coast. Just to remind you, in and around the 1640s, let's take the east coast of North America, which today we would recognize as Canada and the United States, and two little islands far north owned by the French. Well, around the 1640s, we had the French to the north. We had the English below them. We had the Dutch just west of them and what we would call the middle colonies uh, a century after this point in time. Then below them, we have the English again, right? And then below them, we have the Spanish in Florida. And those are just the colonial powers. Again, up until about the 1660s, they're greatly outnumbered by all the various native nations along the coast. Fascinating time. But after this pivot point, which the podcast will get to eventually, everything changes. The colonial powers more or less become France and England. The wars become bigger. The colonial populations explode. The native populations implode. There becomes a definite power imbalance that we hear of often in American history. What I like about these early colonial times is that the power is it's not it's not necessarily shifted towards the colonists. In fact, it seems like most of the time the natives are in firm control of what's going on. And we'll definitely see that in next season also. Uh, but again, we'll also see there is that tipping point. But enough of that. Again, this is a laundry list episode to get out all the technical things that I would like to both address and give praise to the people who deserve it. And so here we go. If you notice, this season really didn't have a legacy episode like the ones last season did. Well, that's because last season, New Sweden ended and New Netherland ended. They were both taken over, and so it was appropriate to do a legacies episode. The story of New France is not nearly over, and most of what would create that legacy is still to come. And so I have forestalled that for a later time. Also, if you notice, I stopped numbering the episodes. I came to the realization that, like, if you watch something in the first season, and it's like New Netherland 10, uh, you might go, well, geez, I should really listen to 1 through 9 before I get to 10. And then you might not even do that because you don't want to spend so much time doing that. 
every single one of my episodes, even the ones that I numbered, they always have a quick review in the front, and they function as their own standalone story. And then, of course, they all fit together in the larger narrative if you have the time for it. It's kind of like the Marvel model. I know, I don't really care for too many of those movies, but maybe you do. I also got rid of the numbering because New France is going to become such a big story. We're going to have different theaters of things happening around the same time. And so who's to say, well, this is number 13, but this is number 14, but they're both happening at the same time. We'll just leave them unnumbered. And then, of course, I put the dates on them and listen to them however you wish. I would suggest listening to them based on the date they were published. Also, if you're an astute listener, I don't know if there's any out there, but you might exist. You'll notice big gaps of when I published episodes uh, during this second season. That's because I had a number of production issues. I radically reduced the number of wires and devices used in my little tiny studio here in order to get this information out to you. This way there would be less buzz and ticks and hiss and issues with the quality of the recording. Similarly, this has led me to become a bit of a perfectionist, which has not been good for actually producing podcasts. Likewise, uh, I've gotten a couple complaints about the drum tracks and other little background noises I put in there. And if you've noticed, as the podcast has gone on, there's been less and less of that. Really, I used that because I felt like I wanted to keep the energy going. I, I didn't really have faith in myself to vocally keep your attention. And also, I very sneakily uh, use these noises to cover up the imperfections that I sensed in my own recording. I'm sorry that this season's end show, I never put up anything for uh, people to throw in their two cents as far as uh, Facebook posts or voicemails or anything like that, as I did during the first season. And that's because I'm recording this last block of episodes during my spring break. As I'm a teacher, I got this nice block of time to get this done. But this episode probably won't be coming out for a month or so afterward. So I felt like it would be silly to put out requests for uh, call-ins to our end episode six weeks before it actually gets published. Or, or even six weeks before I even release uh, the last couple episodes that you can reflect on. And so I left that portion out. However, I will read our beautiful, lovely Apple reviews, which, if you like this podcast, you should review us on Apple reviews. If you don't like that, if you don't like this podcast, you should not review us on Apple Reviews. And if you have a problem that I can fix, just message me or something. I'm, I'm just right here. I'm just a normal guy speaking into a microphone uh, next to a cat perch. Let's check out the last four that were posted and then move on. So it looks like from Mr. Arcadia Mine, we got a five-star review. And it's entitled, This Podcast Answers So Many Nagging Questions. Well, thank you. He goes on to say, I remember back in elementary school, I had to do a report on the Iroquois and quickly finding nothing but loose ends in my research. This podcast answers many of those questions. I have listened to many podcasts since iTunes integrated and the subject matter of this podcast and its delivery is a boon to the medium in ways I had only faintly imagined. Love it. Why, thank you, Mr. Arcadia Mine. And I know that's your real name because you wouldn't lie to me. Part of what you said is the exact purpose of this podcast. It's to go into depth on subjects that are only glossed over. For example, all of this season in a social studies textbook you might find in New York State on U.S. history, 7th and 8th grade, shows up in 11th grade, you could read every word about New France up to 1663 in minutes. Minutes in one of these books. I mean, less than four minutes, I would say. And when you have a student, or, or you yourself, Mr. Arcadia Mine, when you're an inquisitive person and you have lots of questions and you wonder about things, you'll read this thing for four minutes and you'll have so many loose ends. It, 
And when you start to really look at it, it all starts to break down and you realize there's just way more here than what's being expressed. And you, and you will get the sense that uh, everything's being over overly simplified. Anyway, thank you, Mr. Arcadia Mind. Keep it real. Okay, the next review is from Spalding Cam. Spalding Camb, who entitled his review. It's five stars, of course. What is often overlooked? Yeah, exactly. Okay, I'm glad people are actually understanding what I'm trying to do here. Sometimes I have, I have thoughts and I'm like, the rest of the world's not going to be able to see through the, the confusion that I live in. Spalding Cam writes, Great podcast looking at the history of North America that is often overlooked. Goes into great detail, so I'm sure people are impatient for more about where they live. However, you can't rush research. Yeah, I understand that. Uh, season 1 focuses on the Mid-Atlantic. My only complaint is when the narrator tries to do reenactments. It is not needed and cheapens your narrative. Keep up the great work. Well, he gave me a five-star review. And if you notice, I've done less play-acting, reenactment-type audio sets within these episodes. But I, ha I have a little bit of oppositional defiance. So just to irk you a little, I'm going to do a reenactment of your own review. Great podcast, looking at the history of North America, that is often over- <laughs> Goes into great detail, so I'm sure people will be impatient to learn more about where they live. However, you can't rush research. Season 1 focuses on mid-Atlantic. My only complaint is when the narrator tries to do reenactments. It's not needed and cheapens your narrative. Keep up the great work. And our next five-star review is from Scrab... Bobolia, Scrabibibolia, Scrabibibolia. No one uses their real name here. Okay, from Scrabibibolia. A friend turned me on to this podcast last year. I've enjoyed the material, the storylines, and Giannis's enthusiasm. Check this one out. Thank you, Scrabibibolia. I will check it out. And lastly, a five-star review from Fezziwig's Ball. I'm so grateful for the effort and detail of your wonderful podcast. Thank you. Short and sweet, I love it. Thank you, Fezziwig. Keep it real. Don't take any wooden nickels. I'd also like to thank the other podcasters who have reached out to me or I've, or I've talked to or decided to follow on social media or they followed me. Mark Vignette or Vinay or Vinette. Oh, jeez, he's going to get mad at me for messing up his name. Well, anyway, Mark from the History of North America podcast. Sometimes he features me on his show. He takes these long rants that I do and he makes them into cognizant chunks of information that normal people can understand which is great publicity for me so i thank you for that i would also like to thank jack henneman over at the history of the americans podcast he gives me shout outs every now and then so shouting out right back to you we also tend to read the same books because we have overlapping subjects and so i can nerd out over twitter with him on certain authors who nobody i know is reading just because the subject matter is tends to be so specific and then lastly, shout out to WJM over at the New York, Quebec, and the Water Route to the Center of the World podcast, fellow New York State teacher. I just found his podcast, started listening to him, and I, I think we've talked back and forth a little bit. He's retweeted my podcast stuff a couple times. And speaking of other teachers, just in my private correspondence over social media, uh, not public, I've spoken to a number of New York State teachers this year, uh, worked on a couple lesson plans with a few of them, gone back and forth. Thank you for all of that. It's been great to keep me involved in social studies because as some of you uh, may know, this last year I've been teaching uh, special education. And now on my next index card that just says, beg for money. I would like your money. Please send me your money. I have costs. I'm a human being. I'm a teacher. They don't pay us that well. New York State, they pay you pretty well. I'm not going to lie. But, you know, not that well. I have expenses. It costs money to have a podcast. I also enjoy food. Give me your money. 
there's there's some way on Anchor to just give me money. Some people do it occasionally, and I get money, and I feel good about myself. And then I use that money to reinvest in advertising the podcast and buying all these very expensive, specific books. But yes, I would appreciate it, appreciate it if you just gave me money. I mean, ideally, like a brick of gold that you could just slide me like under a table. That'd be wonderful. But I'll take cash, too. But... There it is. That's my once a year beg for money. I'm a little bashful on that point. My next card says next season topics. You know what? I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you. I'll leave you up in the air. I'm just going to say that I have, I don't know, twice as much material already prepared for next season than I did at the end of season one for season two. So you probably won't have to wait so long. And last, before we get to our sources, please check us out on Facebook. Check us out on Twitter. Check us out on our YouTube page. And again, you can go to Anchor and give me money if you want, but you can also just leave a voicemail there through your computer. I don't know how it works. Give it a try. If you uh, leave a voicemail, I'll probably play it at the end of a season. I, I will definitely play it, unless you're doing some obscene nonsense. And now, because I've rushed through this, I'm going to give you a warning that we're going to move on to the sources. I'm going to move pretty quick through them. It's going to be dry. Uh, again, just to give these authors, these historians, uh, credit. And I'm going to, I'm even going to put a commercial right before it here, just so you can leave if you want. All right. So the commercial will start right now. Hey, you ever sit down at the table and you're, you're writing in a threatening letter to your neighbor? But you also want a sandwich? Well, geez, you got to get a whole thing of glue there to, uh, to, 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 to paste out all those letters onto the, to the note so that he doesn't know it's you. And then you got to go get mayonnaise to make a sandwich. You got two jars. Now, Melman's mayonnaise glue is one jar. You get the Melman's, you get your Melman's mayonnaise glue out there. You can, you can put on those letters and then you can put it on your sandwich. It's fine. It's it's Melman's mayonnaise glue. Try it any time. Just remember, is it mayonnaise? Is it glue? It's both. All right, now we're on to our boring dry sources section. And that will end the episode and end the season. So first and foremost, we have our primary sources. So... Our episode's about Jacques Cartier. I read everything he wrote. I read Robert Vall's account. I read all the first-hand accounts on French Florida, which I completely forgot about this season. French Florida, Laudonaire, uh, Jean Rabot has a little bit there, uh, Menendez, Nicolas Lechelot, the carpenter, and the painter, whose last name was Lemoyne. I've read all of that. Of course, I quoted heavily from the Jesuit Relations, which just grab any volume of it. It's wild. The things that go on in, in one of those books, insane. I also quoted heavily from Champlain's own writings. These quotes and other primary sources I mentioned, of course, within every episode, but it was worth a shout out now. And if I've read any short academic papers from anyone, I mentioned uh, the authors inside of the episodes. But now I'm going to pay attention to the full-length texts, the tomes that I slowly trolled through for information. And for this, I'm going to peel through my Goodreads. And you can find me on Goodreads if you want to be my friend on there. I don't care. I'll give you the title and author. I'll give you how many stars I gave it. And if I want to say anything else, I will. But I'll probably just keep keep the ball rolling here. A Voyage Long and Strange, Rediscovering the New World. Fairly new book. I gave it four stars out of five by Tony Horwitz. We could perceive them no more. Oh, no. We could perceive no sign of them. Failed Colonies in North America, 1526 to 1689. I gave it five stars. Uh, David McDonald. I usually give it five stars if the book does what it's intending to do and it's not full of errors. So I'm not really picky on that as far as these academic texts are concerned. All right, let's keep going here. 
The New Penguin History of Canada, just a great overview. I gave it five stars. Just a great overview to get a nice idea of your timeline. A good starting point. The Old Regime in Canada, Francis Parkman. I read everything by Francis Parkman. Again, he's an older writer. It's a little outdated, but the level of detail is there. He doesn't skip over things. So every very important event is, is noted well. Uh, the sources, uh, he's also very quotable. He has a, a very good turn of phrase when speaking about historical subjects. Okay, so on, on the same note, Parkman, all five-star reviews, of course. France and England, North America, Volume 2, I read. Uh, France and England, North America, Volume 1. Uh, very accessible. You'll, you'll find them in any libraries. It's, it's a very popular history of uh, colonial times. Now i got a bunch of sources here, a bunch of books here about, um, about what, what, what I'm doing next season, which I'm not going to tell you about yet. A New World, an Epic of Colonial America, From the Founding of Jamestown to the Fall of Quebec, by Arthur Quinn. A little tangential, but there it is. An Ethnography of the Huron Indians, 15, 1615 to 1649, by Elizabeth Tooker. Now, she is just, she's preeminent in her field, uh, long since passed, I believe. And I gave that a five-star review. She mostly was pulling from the Jesuit relations the literal descriptions of the things the Jesuits were seeing without their moral judgments or their interpretation. So it's, it's a very good uh, collection of, of a primary source that kind of tries to take out any cultural bias. Um, the White and the Gold, The French Regime in Canada by Thomas B. Costain. Now, you, you talk about bias here. There's just, this book is nuts. I gave it one star. It, it, it is old. It's outdated. But it's also full of um, pseudoscientific theories about why certain people do better than other types of people. Uh, lots of references to phrenology. In other words, the shape of your skull having some relation to your intelligence or abilities. Uh, one specific part I remember said, he basically said that the Iroquoian people were more successful than the Algonquian people because the Iroquoians had a superior skull shape, and so they were naturally more intelligent and better with war and civilization and organization and government and everything else. It's just it's just outdated science. I, you can't even call it science. You know, it, it's pseudoscience. And he would use that to explain why certain things happen. So like where Francis Parkman, you could see where the information, is, where the author is dated. But with Costain, he actually uses this this information and error to come up with reasons why things happen it doesn't matter it's one star don't read it next one wilderness at dawn the settling of the north american continent by ted morgan i gave it four stars out of five beyond the covenant chain the iroquois and their neighbors in the indian north america 1600 to 1800 five stars daniel richter anything by daniel richter is going to be fabulous don't worry about it i mean he's a he's a heavy academic it's not a popular read but it's going to be good stuff. Uh, Founding of the American Colonies, 1583 to 1660 by John Edwin Pomfret. I gave it three stars out of five. I think it was a little skimpy. I also think it's an older source and, again, relied on loose logic. Or I think it was heavily angled towards the Anglo perspective, actually. All right, what else we have here? Oh, yeah, Samuel, Del Ch uh, Samuel D. Champlain, Father of New France by Samuel Eliot Morrison. Very traditional biography of Samuel D. Champlain. Couple that with Champlain's Dream by David Hackett Fisher. Fantastic book. If you want to read a book on Champlain, that is the book. And David Hackett Fisher, he also came out with uh, a couple of Washington's Crossing. Very good one. And Albion Seed, which he did in like the late 80s. And it's just fantastic. Albion Seed, it'll just tell you why every specific English immigrant group in what is 
what was what would become the United States had their own specific uh, folkways, he says. And, and it actually explains why we have different accents today, or it tries to explain that. I know I'm stuttering a lot, but you're not listening. Nobody's actually listening to this. It's just me. <laughs> so, all right. The People of New France by Alan Greer. I gave that five stars. That was a good one. I, re- I remember that one being very short, but it was very informative. And it was a lot of information I just couldn't find anywhere else uh, because nobody else wanted to cover it. It was more based on the actual people rather than the governments and the wars and, you know, all that official stuff. All right. The the Timakwoa or the Tamuka. And it's a children's book by Emily J. Dalbert. Now, again, uh, just like with season one, I will read a children's book if it's around. It's just nice to know what generally other people know because I'm heavily involved in history, social studies, education. So I just, I, I have a body of knowledge that I might assume sometimes everyone has. And when I open a kid's book, it lets, it reminds me of what society generally expects you to know about a subject. So I will check out a kid's book from time to time. Why not? Okay. What's our next one going to be here? Lots of Iroquois sources here. None that I use this season. It looks like. The European Discovery of America, Volume 1, The Northern Voyages, 500 to 1600. Obviously, all those early accounts about Cabot and uh, Verrazano and Cartier and Roberval, that's all in there. Uh, That's, again, Samuel Elliott Morrison. Fantastic book. Five stars out of five. Next one, another one by Samuel Elliott Morrison, The Story of Mount Desert Island. That's where I got bits and pieces about our story on Acadia, our second episode on Acadia. Check that one out about the Jesuit colony there. Pioneers of France in the New World. And again, another Francis Parkman uh, publication. Sometimes I read the same thing he writes two or three times over. He's, he's just a genius. He's wonderful. All right, the 40 years that created America. The story of the explorers, promoters, investors, and settlers who first founded the first English colonies. I'll use that in an upcoming season. I gave it three stars out of five. Edward M. Lamont, and it contained a lot on New France in it because England will grow to be the major adversary of France, uh, New France, not to ruin the story for you. All right, the history of Montreal, the story of the great great North American city. I gave that four stars out of five by Paul-Andre Lintieu. All right, I know my, I, you know, I didn't address that. My pronunciation of French words in this season, I apologize for that, but it is what it is. All right, the next one, the Mi'kmaq Anthology by Rita Joe. It says Rita Joe. I thought it would be Joe Rita, but no, it's Rita Joe. I gave it five stars out of five. And I believe the pronunciation is closer to Mikamak. And it's very hard to find any publications on them. So I'm glad I found that one. Uh, on the back of the turtle, a narrative of the Huron Wayandot people. Again, I use that for my Huron episode this season. Five stars out of five. Again, uh, information very hard to find anywhere else. Wonderful author there. What's his name? Lloyd Devine Jr. Just so you know. All right, 1494, how a family feud in medieval Spain divided the world in half. I gave that five stars out of five. That was Stephen Brown, or Stephen Bound. Oh, sorry, Stephen. Stephen Bound. That book dealt with the uh, papal bulls that basically split the unchristian world into the Portuguese and the Spanish half, which you'll see early on in season two. All right, what's next? Maine, the wilder half of New England by William David Barry. Now, I use that for the Acadian mentions and the other uh, French expeditions into what we now call Maine, which, again, at certain times was part of Acadia, French Acadia. 
Uh, the Canadian Frontier, 1534 to 1760 by W.J. Eccles. Love this guy. Eccles is a great author. I mean, he's writing... It's one of those few English sources that are, are, is written from a French-speaking point of view, if that's confusing. And he might be the best historian out there. I think he's, he's long since gone, but he might be the best historian there was writing from the French point of view about these uh, colonial endeavors and battles and wars between the English and the French. All right, what's our next one here? Ghost Empire, How the French Almost Conquered North America by Philip Marchand. I gave that three out of five. I think that book just kind of like, it jumped around too much and it was too much of like a personal story about his journey and what was going on in his life and places he was traveling to. It, it, it advertises like a history book, but it wasn't really. It was more like a travel log in many respects. All right, The Exploration of North America, 1630 to 1776 by William P. Cumming. I gave it four stars out of five. I read it in January 2021. I don't remember a damn thing about it, but there it is. All right, The Coast of Maine, An Informal History and Guide by Louise Dickinson Rich. I gave it four stars out of five. Don't remember a thing about it. All right, next one. Legends of of the Micmacs. Now, the title literally says Micmac and not Micamac. I gave that one five stars out of five by Silas Tertius Rand. Love that name. Keep it up, Silas, if you're still around. Don't think you are, though. Seas of Discontent, The Deep Roots of the American Revolution, 1650 to 1750 a little bit about uh new france in there and i i use that it's nice to see the english perspective the french perspective uh essays on new france again by wj eckley's five stars he's amazing next one sable island the strange origins and curious history of a dune adrift in the atlantic Ooh, i love that and that's by mark de villers i only gave that book four stars out of five i'm not exactly sure why considering it's one of only a very few books published in the last 300 years about an uninhabited island that some consider a sandbar. I probably should have given it a 5 out of 5. But the rating remains. I'm not changing it, Mr. Villas. The next book is History in the Making, an absorbing look at how American history has changed in the telling over the last 200 years. This is by Kyle Ward. I gave this 4 stars out of 5 also. So again, I have to scour general American history tomes for their scant references on New France. And it's just nice to get the variations on the Anglo perspective. Iroquois, People of the Longhouse by Michael G. Johnson. I gave that four stars out of five. And of course, I use that for the portions dealing with the Iroquois Confederacy or the Haudenosaunee. Next up, The Cajuns from Acadia to Louisiana by William Faulkner Rushton. Very hard to find books in the in the entire library system that I'm in on the Cajuns. But just to spoil it for you, the Acadians, a portion of them anyway, will eventually become a large chunk of the ancestry of the modern-day Cajun people. So, ruined, but there it is. The New World, The First Pictures of America by Stephen Laurent. I gave that five stars out of five. Don't know why. I think I just like looking at pictures. Next one would be, of course, the printed copy I had of The Voyages of Jacques Cartier. And again, I apologize for my French pronunciation of words. I don't know French very well at all. Uh, last season, I did a lot better with the Dutch words because I took German for a number of years. And I know with Germanic words, you just pronounce everything uh, and overpronounce it, in fact, and you'll get somewhere in the ballpark of how the word is actually said. French is a little more esoteric to me. Esoteric is also a very esoteric word. Check that out if you don't know what it means. It's a good one to have 
makes you sound smart when you say it. All right. Lost states, lost states, the true stories of Texalahoma, Transylvania, and other states that never made it. This was kind of a coffee table book. Not a lot of detail there. I gave it three stars out of five. I might have used some of it for this season, so I thought I might as well mention it. All right, here we go. Heavy hitting stuff. The stuff, you know, people only in college and history courses would even bother to buy or pick up or see on a shelf. Laudonaire, Fort Caroline, History and Documents. And this is by Charles Henry Bennett. It's a little bit of commentary and then a collection of the primary accounts of French Florida, of which we spent three episodes on right in the middle of our story on all of New France. It's kind of like an appendix to the entire season, but I enjoyed it. It's very bloody, very tragic in many ways. Might be my favorite chunk of the season. Not that you asked. You don't care about me at all, do you? Okay, next one. Painter in a Savage Land, The Strange Saga of the First European Artist in North America by Miles Harvey. I gave this four stars out of five also. This focus is just on uh, Charles, I believe his name is Charles. Charles Lemoyne, the painter who was in French Florida, at least for the... He wasn't in uh, Charles Fort, but he showed up by Fort Caroline. Uh, four stars out of five. It's the only book that really focuses on this one character, which was an ambitious thing to do. I liked his analysis of different things. I liked how he uh, focused on the Tamuka natives a little more than the older sources did and fleshed out their characters a little more based on what he knew of their culture. I'm not sure any author had done that yet up to that point. So that was that was refreshing. Good author there. I might check out other things the guy reads. Not sure if he's an historian or just a writer, author, journalist of some sort, but good book. Usually I don't like books that aren't written by historians. I'm a snob in that way. All right, I'm done rambling. Next one. A Savage Empire, Trappers, Traders, Tribes, and the Wars that Made America. Ooh, I gave this one star out of five. Well, geez, I'm going to see if I actually wrote a written review on my Goodreads here. Just because one star out of five is harsh. Usually I'm a little more forgiving. One star out of five and I left no review? Not a, must, must not have been a good day for me. All right, here we go, here we go, here we go. I'm going to read my review. Error-filled. Claimed the Huron were Algonquin. Furthermore, stated Cartier met with the Haudenosaunee member tribes, completely ignorant of the St. Lawrence Iroquois and the Iroquois language group in general. Let historians write history. Ooh, scathing. Sassy Eric Giannis there. Sorry if that offended you. All right, the next one is Cod, a biography of the fish that changed the world. That is also by Mark Kurlansky. Whoa, wait a minute, I just saw that name. I love it when I read two books some distance in time apart and then realize only after the fact they were written by the same guy. So I just saw Mark Kurlansky somewhere, didn't I? Why am I asking you for? You're not, not even listening. I told you to stop listening when I started this segment. Nope, that's the only book I read by him. Just going a little crazy here, that's okay. So I gave that three stars out of five. Now, this book is interesting. It's, uh, I don't believe the author is a historian, and it, it sounds like a book about fish. But in reality, he presents a theory that the Basque, indeed, began fishing off the coast of North America long before Christopher Columbus, or at least shortly before Christopher Columbus came around, which is a controversial statement, but one that is at least possible. I'm not going to say probable. It's possible. Definitely possible. And I gave it three stars out of five because there were, I, now I remember, there was a couple statements in there that were just unsubstantiated. While his theories were possible and had small fragmentary little pieces of evidence to help support it, there was a couple times where he overreached a little bit, I think, in what he said. It's not terribly important, but it, it was a good book, short book, 
And it's not really about fish at all. So interesting history read there. Uh, Encyclopedia of the Haudenosaunee. I read the entire Encyclopedia of the Haudenosaunee. Uh, Again, near uh, neighbors of New France, not friendly neighbors a good chunk of the time. So that that was a tangential reading for the season. The Mariner of Saint-Malo, or Saint-Malo, a chronicle of the voyages, voyages of Jacques Cartier. And this was the translation done by Stephen Lecoq. Leacock. Stephen Leacock. I don't know. It, I don't know how to say your last name, guy, without it sounding suggestive. Stephen Leacock. And I only gave it a three-star review. I'm guessing because I got a, like a, a reprint of an old 100-year-old scan or something. And I always hate that because the letters are blurry and I'm getting old and my eyes are fatigued. Ooh, Natives and Newcomers in Canada's Heroic Age Reconsidered by Bruce Trigger. Again, he's the man. Read everything by him. You'll be a better person for it. All right, next one. New France, 1534 to 1763 by Richard Worth. I gave this five stars out of five. It is a National Geographic publication. It presents itself as a general history. You know, it's not a book like a guy in grad school would read. It's just uh, something a general reader who is interested in New France might read. So it's not trying to be something it isn't. I gave it five stars out of five. It's pretty comprehensive. It's basically a survey book. So maybe this would be something a high school kid might pick up for a an extended project in 11th grade U.S. history in New York State. So just to give you an idea what it's about. So if you're if you're kind of intimidated by the big the big fat books written by dead authors from 100 200 years ago, that's a nice friendly read. Okay, I'm rambling. Let's go. Let's keep going here. All right, I'm back into the New Netherlands stuff. So I might have hit my uh, endpoint here. Ooh. Here we go. American Nations, A History of the Eleven Rival Regional Cultures of North America by Colin Woodward. Woodard. I gave it a one-star review, and I remember this one. He presents the regional differences as being more severe than they actually were, knowing the context and the history of the time. So I I gave it a one-star review. I, I found that he presented, again, conflicts to be far greater in many cases than they actually were. And it was to further a thesis that I didn't quite buy into. And so if, if you really want more details on that, which I don't think you do because you're not listening because I told you not to listen, you know, just send me a message. I'm accessible. Okay, let's see what else we have here. Again, just bleeding in to the Iroquois stuff. Your fire shall burn no more. Iroquois policy towards New France and its native allies up to 1701. This, this book is fantastic. I waited far too long into uh, my season one of this show to buy this book. I gave it five stars out of five. It's by Jose Antonio Brandao. I read another book by him too. It's just wonderful. He catalogs every single known uh, Iroquois battle conflict, the captives taken and any other spoils, uh, the casualties on both sides. It's, it's comprehensive to the nth degree. And then, of course, he provides some analysis as far as whether the morning wars were morning wars or whether they were beaver wars and so on and so forth. So I can't recommend that book enough. It is fantastic. But it, it, again, it's not a book for a general audience. So if you're looking for something to read casually before bed, that's just too much going on there. And that relied heavily on the uh, Jesuit relations, which is, again is a great source. Fur, Fortune, and Empire. The Epic History of the Fur Trade by Eric J. Dolan. I gave it five stars out of five. It was a great book. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Big fat book. And it, I'll be using it for seasons to come because it, it, is, it fully covers the fur trade 
from its inception all the way up until it became obsolete as a material to make hats out of at any mass scale anyway. Birchbark Brigade, a fur trade history. I gave that five stars out of five. Uh, five. This book is a little more accessible. It's meant for the general reader. It's a lot smaller. It's by Chris Peterson. Loved it, apparently. Read it so long ago, can't quite remember the details, but according to my Goodreads self, it's a good book. All right, that looks like the end of it. In summation, the heavy hitter authors, Eccles, Parkman, Morrison, and the one we still have with us, David Hackett Fisher. Check him out. The guy is a monster uh, in the field. When he gets a subject, he just chews through it. And when he's done and he publishes something, you read it and you go, nobody will ever make a better version of this book. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's the end of season two. Season three won't be so far behind. Remember, keep your pets spayed and neutered. I'm Eric Giannis. Thank you for listening to the Other States of America History Podcast.